Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. Welcome to the Philly Press Box Radio Roundtable brought to you by the Irish Rover Station House in Langhorne, PA, and Allstate Insurance in Westchester, PA. I'm Bill Furman. I'll be your host tonight along with my partner, Jim Chet Chesco. Hey, Chet, Major League Baseball has a huge problem on its hands while the Phils uh, have more games postponed and another one postponed again today. The Flyers won exhibition games complete and full steam ahead starting Sunday. Joel Embiid is at it again. We're going to talk about that, missing two straight exhibition games going into Saturday's opener. And the NFL monitoring closely. Bad news out of Eagles camp today with a few positive tests. Sure, interesting times, but uh, at least we got some games to talk about now. (laughs) Yeah, interesting times, I guess, is a good way to put it, Bill, more so than fun times anyway. We'll see how many of these 2020 seasons actually get completed. I'm, I'm still having my doubts about that. We're going to talk about all that later on in the show, Bill. The Sixers and Flyers do return to play in games that matter this weekend. But, yeah, as I said, later in the show, we got something else to get to right away. Yeah, we, we're going to do something different tonight. And uh, we've got a great guest and Hall of Famer Ray Didiger to do it with. So, Chet, kick it off. Tell us how we're going to make this happen. I've been looking forward to this one, Bill. Uh, Here's the deal. I have a hunch the great majority of our viewers and listeners spend at least a portion of their weekends with our very special guest and his radio partner. It's the best sports talk radio show anywhere, in my opinion. It's Ray Dinger and Glenn Mack now on 94 WIP. And since March, they've been doing a special segment on their shows every weekend called Tell Us Your Story with a different guest from the sports world each time joining them. Always fantastic. And Glenn kindly gave us the okay to kind of borrow that format for two very special shows, one with him in about a month or so, and one right now with the Hall of Famer himself, Ray Didinger. Ray, this is going to be fun. Welcome back. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. All right. Well, hey, Ray, I'm going to kick this thing off and uh, get it going, starting back at the very beginning. Born in southwest Philly, raised in Delaware County, Ridley Township, just like me in Collingdale. Great place to grow up. It was. uh, It really was. Um, It was, I can't think of a better place to grow up than than Delaware County in the 50s. Uh, Baby boom, uh, a million kids on every block. you always had somebody you want to go outside and get in a ball game. Always plenty of people wanted to play. Um, and that was, that was our life. I mean, if the summertime you went out eight o'clock in the morning with a bat and a ball, went down to the ballpark, played, came home for lunch, went back. You didn't come home till dinner time. Uh, and that's the way it was. Um, and that's, that was the way it was where I was, which was Folsom, Ridley Township. But that's the way it was everywhere. That's the way it was in Norwood and Glen Olden and Lansdowne and all over the place. I mean, it was it was really wonderful. I did a we did a uh, tell us your story with Vince Papali uh, just last week. We recorded it. It's gonna it's gonna air, I believe, next week. Uh, and Vince and I talked a lot about that because Vince and I actually played against each other in youth football and in little league baseball. And then later on in rough touch football, uh, we played against each other out there in Delco. I was in Folsom. He was in Glen Olden. Um, and he said the same thing. He couldn't imagine a better place to grow up or better circumstances. So 
I loved it. I, I really did. I have very fond memories of my time in Delaware County, as I think most most guys do. Uh, it was uh, it was really a, a very special time and a very special place. And Ray, you were an Eagles fan pretty much right from the start. I guess that's thanks to your family. Did, did I hear that you had they had a bar and you would actually go to the bar and hang out for the Eagles games? And uh, then you went to Eagles training camps, I guess, every year, Reading and wherever else they had them. Uh, tell me about this picture right here. Who's this young guy in uh, number 60? Well, that's me uh, and Concrete Charlie Bednarik, uh, the great Chuck Bednarik, number 60. And that was taken at Eagles training camp 1957 that would have been so I was just 11 years old and uh, yeah I mean my family was so into the Eagles I mean so rapidly into the Eagles that uh, every summer when my dad would get his two-week vacation from the steel plant um, everybody else would go to the Jersey Shore or to the Poconos uh, and we would just load up the car and drive to Hershey which is where the Eagles had training camp then and we would spend those two weeks up there watching the Eagles practice. Uh, that was our summer vacation every year. And it was great. I mean, I, I, my parents, I don't want anybody to get the wrong impression. It isn't, everybody assumes that my mother was sort of, a, was sort of trapped in this terrible existence uh, <laughs> and was being dragged along to all these things. Not true. I mean, my mother was every bit the fan that my grandfather and my father were. Um, she loved her football and she had strong opinions and she was a smart fan. Uh, she recognized Sonny Jurgensen's greatness before any of the men in the family. <laughs> so um, that was the way we grew up. Those, those were our summers. Uh, and, uh, and they used to have, well, that was back in the day. I mean, there were very few people went to training camp. It was a long drive and pro football wasn't nearly as big then as it is now. Uh, so you could go up to training camp and there were no fences. There were no barricades. There were no security guards. I mean, you could walk right up to the players and, like I did with Chuck Bednarik, just walk right up and say, can I get a picture with you? Sure. It was, it was easy as that. And um, so that was kind of my introduction to pro football, and that was kind of my introduction to the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, Ray, based on that, I'm sure that was what kind of led you to say, I want to get into uh, journalism. And, uh, and, heck, you've made 50 years out of it, so it worked out pretty well. Uh, you went to St. James. You went on to uh, – to Temple as a communications major. Is that really where it started? And was that kind of the dream to come back and uh, work Philadelphia sports or, or obviously the Eagles? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, pretty much. I mean, I, I knew from an early age that that was what I wanted to do. I mean, I, um, I mean, we used to get the Philadelphia bulletin delivered at home as most people did back then. Um, you know, the old saying in Philadelphia, nearly everybody reads the bulletin. And that was true. I mean, we all did. Everybody I knew did. We got it delivered to the house, the afternoon newspaper. And it would come to the house, and I would flip it open, and I would take out the sports section, and I would read all the writers. And I, you know, I knew the writers, and I knew the bylines, and I knew their beats. Um, and I could rattle them off to you just the same way I could the Eagles starting lineup. You know, you Brown, Ray Kelly, George Casita, Bob Vitrone, all those guys. And they were my heroes. I mean, they were my heroes in much the same way that the players were my heroes. And um, there's a columnist there named Sandy Grady. He was the sports columnist. Uh, and he wrote a column called Man About Sports. Uh, and he was in the paper six days a week. The only day he wasn't in the paper was Saturday. Uh, but that was the first thing I turned to. I would pull out the sports section and I would find Sandy Grady's column and I would read it. 
uh, it really inspired me. Um, as much as I love sports, I loved, I loved the reading about it the next day uh, and the way that Sandy Grady could take the game that I watched and write it in such a way that, um, that it was engrossing, that even though I knew the score, even though I knew who the hero was, and even though I knew where the story was going, it held my interest. And that's when I really began to appreciate the true art of sports writing. So from an early age, I decided, you know, I wanted to be a writer. Uh, I wanted to be around sports. Uh, and if I was going to do all that, the place that I wanted to do it was the Philadelphia Bulletin. And lo and behold, 1967, uh, I got an opportunity to go work at the Philadelphia Bulletin. The sports editor hired me, Jack Wilson, uh, and gave me the desk next to Sandy Grady. <laughs> so so uh, an awful lot of things happened and all fell together for me at an early age. So uh, I was in many, in many, many ways, I was kind of just in the right place at the right time. Yeah, so throughout the 1970s, you were there at the Bulletin. You were there till 1980. You began covering the Eagles in 1970, which means this is 50 years, Ray, that you've been doing this. And there were some bad Eagles teams in the early 1970s. So <laughs> you, you got you know, thrown into that. Uh, what do you remember about those early 70s Eagles teams, other than the fact they were pretty bad? That was it. They were pretty <laughs> bad. Um, I mean, they were coming out of the, uh, the, the Harick years. Um, which were really bad and and Joe kind of burned the franchise to the ground and it took a lot of rebuilding. I mean, uh, Leonard Toes bought the team in 69 uh, and hired Pete Retzlaff, the great tight end to be the general manager. And they hired Jerry Williams to be the head coach. And um, it was just a bad idea. You know, Leonard Toes was a rookie owner. Pete Retzlaff was a rookie general manager and Jerry Williams was a rookie NFL head coach. Uh, and so it was sort of it was sort of the old case of they didn't know what they didn't know. And uh, you combine that with the fact that they had a, a roster that had very little talent and it led to some very, very bleak years. I mean, those early 70s years, that was rough, you know, and it, it really wasn't until three coaches later that uh, Leonard Toes found Dick Vermeil uh, out on the West Coast and convinced him. And it took some convincing, but convinced him to move to Philadelphia and take over this uh, this bedraggled Eagles franchise. And that was when things finally began to turn around. Well, Ray, before we get to those Vermeil years, because uh, there's some things to talk about there between you and Coach Vermeil. But before we get there, um, any favorite players from those pre-Vermeil years, good guys to deal with, uh, not so guys to deal with, and, and good players? Um, yeah, I mean, there were, um, I, one of the, uh, the, 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 probably the best player on the team, uh, was, was free safety, Bill Bradley, uh, and Billy, um, and Billy and I actually became good friends. Um, we were just about the same age, uh, had a lot of the same interests, uh, same taste in music, same taste in movies. Uh, he was single, I was single. Uh, we actually hung out together some, which probably was not the smartest thing to do if you're a reporter covering a team, mm -hmm. that you develop uh, that kind of a social friendship with one of the players you're covering. Um, but we did. Uh, it, it was just one of those things. We just hit it off. Uh, learned a lesson, though. I mean, I, I knew once you're friends with somebody, you can't just stop being friends with somebody. I mean, that that's just kind of happens. But I made up my mind that I would never let it happen again. You know, it, 
the way things work in pro football, everything changes and even good players move on. And I knew, you know, at some point Bill was going to move on and he did. Uh, but once that happened, I, I never allowed myself to get tight with any of the other players because it really does get in the way of your reporting. You kind of pull your punches and the way you cover the team, you kind of bend over backwards. Look, and it, there wasn't that much to say bad about Bill Bradley. I mean, he was, he was the best player on, on a very bad team. And uh, in fact, he was the first player uh, in NFL history to lead the league in interceptions in consecutive seasons. 1970, he had 11. And in 1972, he had nine. Uh, led the league both years. And when you think about that, how hard that is to do, to lead the league in interceptions for a team that was as bad as the Eagles were. You know, typically guys lead the NFL in interceptions. They always play for winning teams because the other team is playing catch up. The other team has to throw the ball more. A defensive back has more opportunity to make interceptions. If you can have 20 interceptions in two seasons playing for a team that wins two games, <laughs> that's pretty remarkable. Uh, and, Billy, and Billy was just that good. So he was my best friend through those years. And, uh, but by 1976, when Dick Vermeil came in, uh, Billy had moved on and Vermeil came in and began rebuilding that whole team, really starting from the ground up. Well, speaking of Dick Vermeil, I know Bill referred to it, and I know you talked about it, Ray, on uh, the show with Glenn a, a while back. But the first year or two, you and Dick Vermeil, who's now a good friend of yours, you didn't exactly see eye to eye on things, did you? Uh, no, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. Um, it was understandable, really, when you think about it. I mean, Bill, um, um, Dick um, had come from UCLA, where he had been very successful. Uh, Team won the Rose Bowl, uh, winning coach. Uh, and his idea of the sports writers that covered the team was, and he said this to me, he said, well, all the guys out on the West Coast, all the guys in LA, in the LA area, you know, when I was an assistant coach at the Rams, those guys always wrote good stories about our team. <laughs> and then when I went to UCLA, all the guys that covered our team, they wrote positive, favorable stories about our team. You know, I come here and everything you write is negative. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, look, Dick, you know, there's, I got to explain this to you here. And for one thing, you know, that's L.A. and this is Philly. Okay, so it's different in that respect. Uh, you know, also, that's college football and this is the NFL. That's also different. But the biggest difference is that out there, those were good teams. <laughs> and the Eagles are not. So it's nothing personal. Um, <laughs> I would like to see you succeed. I'm tired of covering losers. By 1976 was my seventh year on the beat. And I co hadn't covered a winning team yet. I said, I'd really like to see you succeed. But the, look, I don't work for the Eagles. I work for my newspaper. And I have to come out here and I have to put in the paper what I see on the field. And what I see on the field, and I still remember telling him, is a team that I think is going to be lucky to win four games this year. Um, and Dick didn't really kind of get it. I mean, he didn't know who I was. And he thought I was just some young, wise guy that was out there to make his life miserable. <laughs> but I said to him, I said, look, one of the things you're going to learn about me is that I'm, I'm an honest person. Uh, and I'm an honest reporter. And if you turn this thing around and you get this thing headed in the right direction, you won't have any problem with anything that I write. 
okay? But for now, I just have to write what I see on the practice field. And what I see on the practice field is a team that's really got a long uphill fight ahead of it. So, yeah, those first couple of years with Dick were pretty bumpy. Um, but I think ultimately he kind of figured out where I was coming from. And he also began to figure out Philly and the difference between Philly and the West Coast. And once he kind of figured it out, and once, especially once the team got better, then everything kind of smoothed out from that point on. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, Ray, you talk about being friends with guys. Uh, long times passed since that bunch has been playing, but uh, you've become great friends with a, a bunch of those guys, I guess, now through uh, the Dick Vermeil golf outing where Chet and I have had an opportunity to go to a few times. Uh, Great, great bunch of guys uh, now. Great bunch of guys. They really are. Um, and it's no coincidence. Uh, Dick wanted a very specific kind of, not just player, but person to be part of his team. Uh, I mean, Dick really did believe in that notion of character matters and character ultimately will help you win. Um, and when he took over the team in 1976, remember the coach, that had come before Mike McCormick um, had traded away all of their draft choices. You know, Mike had come from Washington. He had been an assistant coach under George Allen with the Redskins. And he had seen what George Allen did with the Redskins, which was basically trade away all their draft picks for veteran players and turn that franchise around overnight. So Mike came to Philadelphia and tried to do the same thing. And he traded away everybody. I mean, he cleaned out the draft cupboard for, for like the next four years uh, and tried to do the same thing, try to replicate the George Allen um, MO, and it just totally fell apart. And so when Dick Vermeil came in, he inherited a roster that had very little talent, uh, a team that hadn't won in more than a decade and had no draft choices. I mean, most guys take over a bad team, a losing team, a bottom feeder, the one thing that they have going for him is, well, at least I'm going to get a bunch of high draft picks because based on where we finished. Well, Dick wasn't even getting that. So uh, I, I think you could really make a case that the job that he inherited in Philadelphia in 76 may have been the toughest coaching job that anybody in the history of the National Football League ever undertook. Um, but he came in and he built with low round picks with what he had. You know, Wilbert Montgomery, sixth round pick. Charlie Johnson, seventh round pick. Carl Hairston, eighth round pick. I mean, all of these guys that were that that passed over by everybody else. That was all that was left for Dick. So we picked he picked them and just built his team around that. And guys that just had tremendous amount of heart and a tremendous amount of desire, uh, and were willing to pay the price. That's your Vince Papalis, your Keith Krepfleys, and those guys. And together with a few good holdovers like a Bill Berge, Randy Logan, Jerry Sizemore. He cobbled together this team that within the third, by the third year, they were a playoff team. Really an amazing coaching job. And I, I really do think that Dick should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I really do think that uh, he was on the ballot this year. He was under consideration this year for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and I think when you look at what he did, both in Philadelphia and then later in St. Louis, taking teams off the mat and taking them to a Super Bowl, um, I mean, to me, that's the definition of a Hall of Fame coach, and I hope he gets that opportunity because he really does deserve it. Yeah, I would love to yeah, see that. Absolutely. Well, before we talk about 80s and 90s Eagles football, Ray, I want to stick in the 70s for one other topic. In the past on the show here, you've already told us about 
your one-on-one -on -one interview with Muhammad Ali at Deer Lake, which was you know, certainly memorable for you. Uh, the, the day that Christy Brinkley invited you to lunch and you turned her down, shame on you, Ray. <laughs> Uh, but one other thing, in the late 70s, you played a couple of years on a professional softball team with uh, Billy White, who's Johnson and Johnny Callison. There you are, Ray, looking good. Looks like you got uh, that bat held right. Uh, tell me about those two years playing professional softball. <laughs> yeah, 78-79, uh, I played uh, for a team called the Philadelphia Athletics. Uh, there was a... Um, the American Professional Slow Pitch Softball League. It was a real thing. It was a real league. The franchises uh, fr from the East Coast, it's far, I guess our farthest West Coast team was Chicago or Minnesota. Um, but it was, um, it was really great fun. Uh, I really liked it. You mentioned Billy White Shoes Johnson was our center fielder. Uh, Johnny Callison was our player manager. Uh, and... Um, we had, uh, we had some really good players. We played our, the first year, 1978, we played our home games at Veterans Stadium, uh, which oh, was, wow. uh, that was really wild. I mean, to play, uh, to play softball on the field at Veterans Stadium. Did you have uh, fans come out teams, to see you? Or, or visiting teams, I mean, they just loved coming to Philadelphia because they got to play at the Vet. Uh, I mean, most of the other places where we went to play, you know, you played on real softball fields. Now they were really nice fields. They were yeah. well-maintained and, uh, they drew pretty good crowds in Detroit, Kentucky, Rochester, Minnesota, Chicago. I mean, those places were, they, I mean, that was, they were softball fields uh, and very, very nice uh, and very well run. I mean, it was a very professional league. I mean, we flew everywhere. We stayed in nice hotels. They did it upright. Um, and uh, that first year we wound up, we, uh, <laughs> we wound up the final weekend. We had to play eight games in two days uh, against the team from Chicago. Uh, and we knew going in that if we won all eight games, if we swept all eight games, they were at the vet. Uh, if we swept all eight games, we would go to the World Series. But we had to win all eight. Um, and we did. We won four on Saturday. We won four on Sunday. Wow. Uh, I had the assist on the final out of the eighth game. And... Um, uh, we wound up going to the World Series, and uh, that was really that was really a lot of fun. We had lost Billy Johnson by then because Billy had had to leave us and and go to the Oilers training camp and resume his real career of returning kicks in the NFL. Uh, but we went on to the World Series, and uh, uh, unfortunately, we got knocked out by the team from Cleveland. But uh, that was really a, that was a a real fun experience, and uh, uh, and really a, a great year. I I met a lot of really great people, made some good friends, uh, and had the uh, opportunity to uh, take some bad headshots like the one that you just put up there with that. Uh, <laughs> I got to keep in mind, that was, that was 1978, so that's 1978 length hair, okay? But don't, don't hold that against me. And Bill, I well, should mention, uh, Ray didn't say this, but he was so good defensively, his nickname was the vacuum cleaner. Whoa, there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was my nickname. Um, the uh, Gail, Gail Clements, who was, uh, who was our first baseman, gave me that nickname. Um, Galen was a, a SWAT cop in, for the Philadelphia Police Department. Uh, he, he was on the SWAT team at, uh, for the Philadelphia Police, and he played, played with us. Because all the games were played on the weekend. Everybody had full-time jobs. Uh, we had one guy who was a fireman. Another guy worked at Atlantic Refining. Um, I was a sports writer. 
we all had full-time jobs. Uh, so all the games were played Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. And Galen was a, was a Philadelphia cop. And yeah, he was the guy that gave me the nickname vacuum cleaner. So nice. uh, yeah. <laughs> well, hey, Ray, talking, talking about Coach Vermeil and talk about Coach Vermeil in the Hall of Fame. What about Billy White Shoes Johnson in the Hall of Fame? What's uh, what's it going to, he's this there as Jerry Kramer. What, what's it going to take to get Billy Johnson in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, um, when we had when we had Billy on the uh, Tell Us Your Story a couple weeks ago, um, we talked about that a little bit. And and Billy, you know, and Billy didn't make a big case about it. I mean, I made more of a case than he did. Um, that I think if you look at his numbers, I, yeah, I mean, they definitely when he when he retired when he retired and he wound up playing thirteen seasons. Uh, when he retired, he was the number one punt returner in NFL history. Now, right. um, a couple guys have passed him now. I think Devin Hester being one of them. Uh, but the fact is, I think you know, when you look at the kind of career he had, the big plays that he made, the impact he had, um, yeah, I mean, you could definitely make a case for him for the Hall of Fame. What has to happen, though, is you have to get that group of guys, the voters, the board of selectors, um, to consider a return man. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Um, I know from having been on that voting body that it's hard to get those guys to weigh special teams people the same way they weigh players at other positions. Hard to do, very hard to do. I mean, I, when I was on the voting board, I, I pushed really hard for Jan Stenerud because uh, I thought Jan Stenerud was – was a really important figure in football history. I mean, he kind of legitimized the soccer-style kicker uh, and had a great career with Kansas City, was instrumental in them winning the Super Bowl IV. Um, at the time that he retired, was the leading scorer. Um, I mean, I just thought that yeah, if Jan Stenerud belonged in the Hall of Fame, but I had to get them to accept the fact that any kicker <laughs> belonged in the Hall of Fame. So finally, Jan Stenerud got in. It was a struggle, but we got him in. And then... But then it was a struggle to finally get a punter in. And then years later, we finally got Ray Guy in. Uh, and then just a couple of years ago, a second kicker went in, and that was Morton Anderson. Um, so it's a little by little you're starting to see the voting body is now accepting the fact that, hey, if special teams really is one-third of the game, which coaches always say that it is, then how can you say special teams players don't deserve a place in Canton? So we got – Two place kickers in. We got one punter in. Now the next the next frontier will be getting a return man in, and they got to start somewhere. Billy Johnson's a good place to start. Well, speaking of the Hall of Fame, Ray, uh, you made a name for yourself with the Philadelphia Daily News throughout the '80s and '90s, and you went to Canton in uh, I guess 1995. What did that mean to you to you know be named one of these great journalists covering? the sport that you loved and getting, you know, a place in Canton? Um, it was a great, it was a great feeling. Uh, it was, uh, you know, the biggest honor I've received to date for sure um, is to be recognized um, by your peers, to be recognized by the, uh, by the other writers um, as being worthy of being the Dick McCann award winner. Uh, you know, you look at the guys that had won that before me, you know, guys like Will McDonough, um, Dave Brady at Washington, John Stedman in Baltimore, Bob Oates at the LA Times, uh, Dave Anderson of the New York Times. 
Uh, I mean, these guys were the best of the best. Uh, and the fact that, you know, I was, I was even in the consideration there was pretty flattering. I mean, I knew, I knew that I had been up um, three times. Uh, I had been up a couple of times and uh, uh, one year Will McDonough got in ahead of me. Um, then another year, uh, one of the other writers, uh, Don Pearson from Chicago Tribune got in. Uh, and I thought that's fine. I mean, they deserve it. And, and I really kind of thought that the McCann Award is one of those sort of end of your career awards. It's like, you know, it, a lot of guys get them posthumously. Um, and they generally always come to a guy who's either retired or retiring. And at that point, I was still relatively young guy. I, in fact, I'm, I'm still, I, think, I believe, the youngest guy ever to get it. Wow. So I always kind of thought it was nice that I'm in the conversation. And, you know, maybe down the road here that indicates that I'll get a chance to go in. But in 1995, when they called me and told me that I was the guy, um, I was just uh, blown away. I, I really was. And to be, to be part of that weekend ceremony, to be part of the induction class, uh, to be able to share it with your family, your wife, your kids. My parents came up from Florida. Um, and, I, and having said and told you guys how much my parents love pro football, uh, for them to come to Canton and see me be part of a Hall of Fame induction class was one of the great thrills of their life. And I mean, they had as great a time as I had in Canton that weekend. I guarantee you my parents enjoyed it that much more. So it was, it was a, a wonderful occasion. Uh, and you're right, it was 1995, so it's 25 years ago. Wow. Uh, but yet, I remember every every minute of it like it was yesterday. That's awesome. Hey, Ray, you, you finished, you get in the Hall of Fame in 95, then you start working for NFL Films, I guess, sometime around 96. Um, NFL Films is, a, you know, I guess there's not a more iconic football show uh, than NFL Films. How was that? You, you're a producer, or you, you still are, I believe. Uh, working for them, correct? Yeah, it was. Um, it um, it happened um, um, somewhat just one of those things. I mean, I, I didn't really uh, plan on it. Uh, I was, I really thought, I really, really thought that I would spend my whole working life in newspapers. That's really all I had aspired to do. Um, but I, I, I went to a, um, uh, a film symposium. I knew Steve Sable, the head of NFL Films, really well because NFL Films is based in Philadelphia. Uh, and Steve and the NFL Films guys are always around. So I'd gotten to meet Steve. We'd become good friends. And he invited me to this film symposium uh, that they had downtown. They were bringing in filmmakers from all over the world. It was an international film festival that was being held in Philadelphia. And one night they, they asked Steve to do a presentation to all these filmmakers from everywhere, from South Africa, from Europe, from South America, to do a presentation on NFL films uh, and how NFL films had impacted uh, sports on television. And so Steve invited me to come to this uh, presentation. And so I went and uh, in the course of the show, and it was really a good show, and um, the, all, these, all these foreign filmmakers were just fascinated by NFL films. I mean, they didn't know the first thing about football. They didn't understand the first thing about the game. But that those beautiful pictures of the slow spiraling football and the players being flipped in the air and, you know, guys in the mud and the snow. 
I mean, all these foreign filmmakers, I mean, they were just loving it. And when it was over, um, Steve did a Q&A with the audience and somebody asked, you know, what do you have any other, what new projects do you have on the horizon? And Steve talked about this movie. He said, we're going to make this movie called Football America. And it's going to be a movie where we're going to talk about, we're going to tell the story of America through the game of football. And we're going to take our cameras and all of our camera work and all that. And we're going to go everywhere but the NFL. We're going to film flag football. We're going to film peewee football. We're going to film sandlot football. We're going to go into the prisons and show prison football. Um, and we're going, to, we're going to spend one year just this, just following the sport of football in America. And I heard that and I said, oh, man, I would love to be involved in something like that. So I went to Steve and said, you know, I'd, I'd like to get involved in this somehow. I don't know how. I'm not a filmmaker. But so he brought me on as a researcher to help research the stories that were going to make up the movie. And that was all it was supposed to be. I was just supposed to be a researcher with a guy with story ideas and maybe write the script. And over the course of that one year, uh, working with the crews and working with Steve, we developed a really good relationship so that at the end of the year, Steve said, how would you like to come and work here full time? And that was how it happened. And I wound up working there for 13 years and had a, just a very unexpected, but very rewarding career. Um, working for NFL films. There's, if you love the sport of football, like I do, uh, there's no better place to work than NFL films because you're immersed in it 24 hours a day. And there's no better boss to work for than Steve Sable. He, he was uh, a good friend and just a tremendous inspiration. Well, Ray, the time has flown by, and we have to wrap up in a few minutes, but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the other things you've been doing. You continue to write. You've recently put out, of course, the Eagles Encyclopedia Champions Edition. I love that. you got a new book coming out next year. Uh, you continue to write occasional pieces, you know, for various websites. Um, the other thing, though, every weekend, you and Glenn Mack now – do this great show on WIP. When we talked about it like three or four years ago, you weren't even sure when it all started. You thought it was around 2002, 2003. Did you ever pin that down? And what makes this show so great? You guys, I, I know you said the goal is just that you want it to be like two guys sitting there talking sports. And boy, does that work. So tell me about this relationship, how it's evolved, and why it's so successful. Um, that's kind of it, Chet. Uh, it's just, uh, it's really just two guys talking. Uh, two good friends talking, I guess, is probably the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I, I really didn't know Glenn when they put us together. I mean, he worked at the Inquirer. I worked at the Daily News. We were both sports writers. Um, I had sat next to him in the press box a couple times. We said hello. That was it. Um, and But the station had this idea. I was actually at the time working. It was me and Stan Hockman were doing the Saturday morning show, which they called the Saturday Sports Page. And then Stan decided... He bought a house down the shore and decided he wanted to spend his weekends at the shore, which I understand. But they wanted to keep the sports page theme going. So they, they said, how about we put you together with Glenn Mack now and just keep doing the show? I said, okay. Uh, and we started working together and it just clicked. You know, it's, uh, you know, chemistry is a funny thing. You know, it's, it's uh, you don't know what creates it. You don't know why. Uh, but when it's there and it's real, you know it and you feel it. And, uh, and the people that listen kind of feel it too. Um, and we've been doing it now, I think 02 is probably it. Yeah. I think it's been, you know, it's, it's, we're pushing 20 years for sure. Cause I know Glenn and I were 
when the Eagles went to Jacksonville for the Super Bowl against New England, we went down there. We did our we did our Saturday show from Jacksonville mm-hmm. from a tent outside the hotel team hotel. So I know it was at least then, and we had been doing the show two or three years before that. There you go. So it's probably oh one oh two, which is a good long time. But I'll tell you this: it still feels it's still fun. We still enjoy doing it, and even through these last five months when there haven't been any sports, uh, we've still found things to talk about. And your ratings went up. That's just amazing. And the ratings went up. It's, um, it's, it's a credit to the people at WIP. I don't know if it tells you more about WIP or the city of, sport, uh, the city of Philadelphia being the greatest sports town in America. Yeah. I mean, you look at sports talk stations all across the country, New York, Boston, Chicago. Ratings have just tanked in the last five months because there's no sports. And yet at WIP, they've not only held firm, they've actually gone up. So I don't know that that could happen anywhere else other than Philadelphia. And I'm just awesome. happy to be part of it. Hey, Ray, a friend of yours, I guess, an old working acquaintance, sent a message that said to tell you hello. Charlie Petzold? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we worked together at the Philadelphia Daily News. Charlie's I, um, listening. Charlie he, was a, he was a columnist, and uh, he was a city-side columnist who worked in the sports department. So uh, Charlie's a good man. Charlie's yeah, a good man. I he's watching. Him. Ah, nice to, know, nice to know he's still out there. Nice to know he's watching. Yep, actually he lives out in that Garnet Valley area still. Yep. All right. Hey, uh, let's talk about Tommy McDonald. We got to talk about that. We can't let you away. Uh, you kind of headed that all up to get uh, help Tommy get into the Hall of Fame. And I know there's a ton of stories behind that. Go ahead and tell us about that. Well, yeah, um, and it sort of goes back to where we started on the interview here, which is the going up to Hershey and the training camp. Uh, I met Tommy McDonald up there when I was that little boy that you saw in the picture. Uh, And he was my favorite player. And um, I used to uh, wait for him outside the locker room. And uh, I would uh, carry his helmet on the walk to the practice field. Did it every day during the time that we were up there. Um, He got so used to seeing me, he started calling me little brother. (laughs) And uh, and we did that every summer. Um, from the time when I started in 50s, his rookie year, 57, all the way up through 63, when uh, his last year with the Eagles. So I went from being like an elementary school to high school, when he went from being a rookie to an all pro. Uh, and we just kind of grew up together. And um, we just developed this very nice friendship. And then we went our separate ways. I went to college, became a sports writer. Tommy, of course, had his great career, then retired but stayed in the area. And we kind of reunited later on. Uh, when I was a sports writer, I got a chance to interview him a few times. Uh, I could tell how much it, it bothered him that he wasn't in the Hall of Fame while he clearly deserved it. And so as a sports writer, I was now in a position where I could sort of help. Uh, and so I did, and I mounted a little campaign. And lo and behold, in 1998, he got voted into the Hall of Fame and asked me to be his presenter. So it was such a... Uh, a unique story and such a nice feel good kind of story that uh, I just decided I got to share this with the world. And so a couple of years ago, I sat down and wrote a play called Tommy and me. And I took it to uh, the folks at theater exile and they liked it. Uh, and in, 19- in 2016, we staged it for the first time and it had great success. And it came back in seven- 2017 and 2018 and 2019. <laughs> And it was going to come back actually next month. It was going to yeah. come back for a fifth year. But of course, COVID shut everything down. But uh, we're still hopeful. And there are several theaters have already contacted us about doing it next summer. 
So the, uh, the story about Tommy and me uh, lives on. But the best part of that whole experience was the fact that Tommy was here to actually see it. You know, Tommy passed away two years ago, uh, sadly. But he was here to see the play when it debuted. Uh, and trust me, nobody enjoyed Tommy and me <laughs> more than he did. He came with his whole family, children, grandchildren. They filled a whole row in the theater. Uh, uh, and at the curtain to give a standing ovation was Tommy. It was, it was one of the, and he said it was one of the highlights of his life, and it made me feel so good. I saw it three times, loved it. And Bill, you're, you're going to see it next year. I, I'm I have. I, I actually live here now. I can actually I see know. it. All right. All right. Chet, one final question from you. Or are we ready to let Ray go one, since we One last question, Ray. If we do get an NFL season and a full season, how will the Eagles do this year? If there's a season and if there's a full season, um, I think they're going to be a good team. I, I really do. Um, I think the fact that they're the only team in the division uh, that has retained its head coach is a plus. Um, I think their quarterback play, I think they have the best quarterback in the division, which is a good place to start. Um, and um, I think the offensive line, I think the move, I think Peters will be fine at right guard. Um, the um, I wish they had done a little more to uh, improve the receiver position. The receiver position still looks like it could be better. They got some young guys with some speed and some talent, but this is going to be a tough year to get young guys on the field because they haven't had enough work. They haven't had enough spring ball and Lord knows they're not going to have a preseason. So um, I think, you know, they, they've got some young guys here that have some talent. I just don't know how ready they're going to be ready to go in September. But um, I think the overall team is a good team. I think they have a terrific quarterback. I think they're well coached. And, uh, you know, I think that they're well positioned. I think they're certainly going to contend in this division. I think it's going to be them or Dallas, as it always seems to be. Um, but I would not count them out. I think that in what figures to be a very wide open year in the NFL, because everybody is going to be working at the same disadvantages. You know, I think the Eagles are going to be right in the mix, assuming we have a season. Let's hope. Absolutely. Well, Ray, I'll tell you what, this has been a lot of fun and, uh, and uh, we, we appreciate you and Glenn letting us borrow your, uh, your show theme our first time, and uh, it's been a blast. Well, it's been my pleasure, guys. First time we've ever done it this way, but I look yeah. forward to doing it again. Thanks for embracing right. the new technology, Ray. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank, thank you for inviting me. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, take Ray. Care, guys. Thanks. All right, Chet, let's take a quick break and thank our sponsor, Allstate yep. Insurance in Westchester, PA. If you're looking for insurance in the tri-state area, we've got the spot for you. That's Allstate Insurance in Westchester. Yes, we do, Bill. One of the best benefits of having an Allstate insurance policy is getting a local agent like Dave Lavoie, who is dedicated to you. Building that personal relationship means you can work with someone who knows you and understands your family's needs, someone you can call when you have questions or need help. Dave is dedicated to protecting what's most important to you and your family. Call Dave today at Allstate in Westchester, Pennsylvania, 610-430-0700. Again, that number is 610-430-0700. And, Bill, the lead singer of one of my favorite bands is celebrating birthday number 67 today. That's Getty Lee of Rush. Right. 67. We're, we're not getting any older, Chip. That's no, sure. not us. Not at all. Hey, that was fun, wasn't it? Man. Yeah, it, it was a blast, actually. And I uh, appreciate 
uh, Ray, and uh, we're, we're going to get, a think, a chance to do this again, maybe with Glenn shortly too, right? Yeah, uh, Glenn committed to it. We just don't have a date yet, but uh, I'll be in touch, and we'll do it, and uh, that's going to be fun too. All right. So what we're going to do, Chet, since uh, we ran over with Ray, but that's good. We're going, we were going to keep running over. We're going to go ahead and try to still cover all of our topics. We may run a little past our 8 o'clock finish, but we're going to do it. Let's go. Let's talk about this mess the Marlins have created. Phillies are right in the middle of it. Uh, that aside, when you did get to see the Phils for three games, uh, not very pretty. Bad bullpen and no hitting with runners in scorer position. Sound familiar? It was not a whole lot different from what we saw the second half of the last two seasons, Bill. You're right. And, you know, I didn't even know who the hell some of those bullpen guys we saw over the weekend were. I'll go back to what I said about a dozen times also over the last couple of years. If I don't see Vinny Velasquez on the mound again, I will be okay with that. And one other thing, getting back to the bullpen, as much as we criticized Gabe Kapler the last two years, Joe Girardi did a horrible job with the pen on the Friday and Sunday games that they lost. I'm just saying, he brings the rookie in on Friday night who looked nervous. <laughs> Sunday, he, you know, pulls Pavetta after a good third inning after he seemed to have settled down. And uh, then Cole Irvin, who shouldn't be on the big league club, blows the game. Nick Pavetta, I, I want to give up on him too. It's very frustrating, <laughs> Bill. Well, I tell you what, Jed, I, I had a mental clock in my head of how long it was going to take you to get after Joe Girardi. I <laughs> thought he would get more than three games, but uh, nope. Look, it's three games. It's a very small sample size, but it's the freaking Marlins who half of them had the COVID and you still lose two out of three <laughs> at home. There's no reason for that. Come on. All right. So let, let's get to the other side of it. 26 guys left on base. Bases loaded. In three innings in a row yeah. with less than two outs and got zero, zero runs out of that. That's not good. <laughs> and, <laughs> while it's nice that Reese Hoskins is getting on base with walks, he's your first baseman. He's got to be, you know, something of a power hitter. So while he's been on base with, you know, six walks or whatever, I want to see him jump on a first pitch once in a while instead of working the count all the time. He did that occasionally last year before he went into the slump. I want to see him get back to that. Um, nice to see Harper go yard. Uh, Didi, you know, had homers the first couple of games. So I'm not overly worried about the offense. I think that'll be there. And, heck, they got five days off to rest up now. So uh, I'm still worried about the pitching, though, Bill. Well, well I'll tell you, I'm, I'm a little surprised with Hoskins because, you know, you know, I talk about him every time we do a show. I think he's the key. Uh, that swing doesn't look different to me. Uh, you know, they're yeah. saying the new swing, the new me kind of thing. Uh, that swing doesn't look different to me, and he's not having any results either. No, nah, he changed it quite a bit, apparently, back in the real spring training. And then now he said he was going with something of a hybrid. But, uh, yeah, I'm not so sure either. But they have this whole week off. They play a doubleheader Saturday and then Sunday. So, so far they have one win, two losses, and five days off because another team had COVID-19 players. Isn't that so, great, what a year. crazy thing? Crazy year. thing. And going to be going to be more crazy things, uh, especially right. if they throw it on the table that they start playing these seven-inning doubleheaders, which is a possibility. It was already on the table. And with all these games to be made up and only six days off in the whole entire season, you can't play them all unless you do – doubleheader so it's going to be interesting to see if that gets thrown in the mix let's talk hockey come on i'm going to talk let's hockey. talk hockey uh as we said the flyers opened up with their only exhibition game yesterday against pittsburgh 
Carter Hart looked very strong. Flyers ended up winning that game. But more importantly, the run for Lord Stanley's Cup starts Sunday against Boston when they play for real. You know, I honestly forgot until the other day that it started this week. I was thinking it started the following week or weekend. I know they had a game next Thursday, and I was thinking that was game one. But, yeah, it begins in earnest on Sunday. But you're right. They did look good in the game against Pittsburgh. I got to watch it online while at work. And, I mean, they, they played well. They were, you know, they were going after it. Uh, came back from a one-goal deficit, blew the lead late in the game, then won it in overtime. Kevin Hayes looked good. Um, I'm excited about this team and Carter Hart didn't look nervous. I know it was still just a scrimmage exhibition game, but I like Carter Hart and I like this young team and Elaine Vigneault, one of the finalists for the Jack Adams coach of the year award. I think he's going to have them ready to go and I'll be watching every single playoff game. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I tell you what, that game had a lot of energy for a, for an exhibition game. Both teams played hard and uh, not pretty nice job on uh, NBC sports network of, uh, the crowd noise was pretty good, and uh, you know there wasn't that big excitement on the when they scored goals with the horns and all that. But they tried to pipe in some some goal scoring noise. Uh, but the general noise across the game sounded pretty pretty real, except you looked and there wasn't anybody there. Yeah, I kind of like it. I, I was watching you know baseball as well, and I like the you know the kind of low murmur of the crowd in the background, and then when something happens, there's you know more of a roar. I like it. I'm glad they're doing the fake crowd noise thing. So uh, good for them. Yeah, I've gotten where I like it a little bit more than I than I thought I would. I just I just don't like when you get that big home run. You can hear the crack of the bat, especially if you're listening on the radio. Oh yeah, you can hear it, but then there's not that big. You know, you you're looking for. Well, let's go. It's uh it's time to get started. But hey, let's take a break. Another quick break. Thank our friends at the PPCC 118 Raz Room. They post great sports memorabilia on their Facebook page so people can take a chance of winning something they may not be able to afford to have access to. All items come with certificate of authenticity. They continue to run out great autograph memorabilia for all the Philly teams and more. Change some things to the very popular mystery boxes and Razzins with just 11 lines available so their chances of winning are 1 in 11. Great odds. Check out the Facebook page. Like it or follow it. It's PPCC. 118 Raz Room. That's right. PPCC 118 Raz Room on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Then, hey, Chet, uh, phew, what can you say about having Ray Diddy with us tonight? Uh, he's the leader in the clubhouse, right? We didn't tell him that even. But uh, with that said, it was a lot of fun. And uh, so your bar is high. Who's coming to Philly Press Box Radio next week? Yeah, that was number 15 uh, visit for Ray. So he is, I believe, the leader. I th- Kevin Riley might be right there with him or at 14. But, uh, yeah, Ray is uh, at 15, and he's one of our favorites, obviously. All right, next week with the Flyers ready to drop the puck this Sunday for games that count, it makes sense that we're going to have a terrific hockey guy joining us. And this guy is becoming a member of the Philly Press Box Radio 10-timers club in the process. You know him from the Flyers website. He writes for them. He writes for HockeyBuzz.com. It's our pal Bill Meltzer joining us. All right, a little hockey talk with Bill Meltzer. We may have a second guest also to talk basketball. That's not confirmed yet, but we do have Bill Meltzer for sure. Bill will be great. Flyers will be great. They'll have at least one win under their belt by then, and uh, we'll get to talk. I know Bill's going to be fired up because I think, like you, I think the Flyers are going to come out hot and ready to go under Elaine Vigneault. 
I'm excited. What a weekend, Bill. We got the, the Flyers playing Sunday. We got the Sixers starting things off Saturday and three Phillies games in two days. So we're going to be going crazy with sports this weekend. Yeah, well, speaking of Sixers, Chet, uh, it haven't, hasn't even started yet. Joel Embiid has me irritated. You know, they're exhibition games. I get it. But sitting out games is a problem. Uh, Brett Brown trying to do some different things, different align, lineups, different things. And uh, your star player decides he's not going to play the last two exhibition games. Now you're going into Saturday like uh, the Keystone Cops. All right, you're making way too much of this, Bill. Nah. I, know, I know Embiid misses a lot of games, but other than this minor calf injury, which is no big deal, he seems to be in pretty good shape. And really, the final eight pre-playoff games, which begin Saturday, as we said, are the ones where I want to see him get better and stronger. I'm honestly not worried about him at all. I mean, other than, you know, if some freak injury happens. But he'll be fine, I think. And, you know, it doesn't even matter at this point whether they move from the sixth seed or not. It's about getting everybody ready and playing together, getting ready for the postseason. And Ben Simmons has done some good things. He played two good games, didn't look so good in the Tuesday night game. He hit that 1-3 in the first game after missing one, so that was a good sign. He wasn't afraid to shoot another one after missing. Tobias Harris has looked very, very good. He looks like he wants to play. He looks like he's becoming more of a team leader. And in Embiid's absence, Al Horford has actually had a couple of good games. So that was good to see also. So, Bill, to quote Aaron Rodgers, relax. Well, Chet, to quote Allen Iverson, the only thing missing from your little comments there was it's just practice. <laughs> practice. We don't need that. It's just Essentially, practice. yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't Come matter. Come on, like, man. Even these next few games don't matter because I don't care if they move up or not. Either way, they're going to have to get past Milwaukee, either in the second round or third round, if they're going to, you know, do anything. So just get get it together, play well over these final eight games, and see what happens. Hey, Chad, uh, one, one final comment on this. Your GOAT, your GOAT, Michael Jordan, did he ever sit out games? Just, just asking for a friend. Oh, for God's sakes. That's well, an uh, unfair comparison. Well, what do you mean? It's <laughs> just practice. All right, Chet. We modified our Philly Press Box website where you can now watch this podcast. We have our Vimeos, some current Philly sports articles, some other articles, and we have our YouTube channel. We need to get people over to our YouTube channel and get them described for us. It's free. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff on the YouTube channel, everybody. Uh, all 15 shows that we've done are there. Number 16 uh, will be there tomorrow. Um, tonight, I'm talking about the shows via Zoom. Lots of other fun stuff as well. So as Bill said, go to YouTube. Subscribe to Philly Press Box Radio. You'll be glad you did. And don't forget, if you want to buy one of our fabulous T-shirts that Bill is modeling tonight, that beautiful red shirt, go to our website and get all of the details. We will get your shirt to you in a matter of days. And I'm psyched for this weekend. Lots of sports, Bill. You got it. Well, hey, uh, we're out of time, and uh, we're going to finish this up. Do we have a parting shot for you, sir? couple of odds and ends. Uh, a lot of interesting news over the past week beyond the baseball mess. The Mike Tyson comeback fight against Roy Jones Jr. is a go for September 12th. Tyson is 54. Jones is 51. Could be interesting. Uh, the NHL gets a new team next year, the Seattle Kraken named after a mythical sea monster out in Puget Sound. Something different. I kind of like it. Lots of birthdays in recent days. You've been posting some of the former Eagles and others who've celebrated them, like uh, 
uh, Irv Cross, Doug Collins, the former Sixer, but also Steve Coates turned 70 the other day, the great Flyers broadcaster. He's a fun guy. And Bugs Bunny turned 80 the other day, Bill. He still looks great. Must be all those carrots. And uh, finally, Bill, this past Saturday marked the 40th anniversary of the release of both the ACDC album, Back in Black, and the great movie, Caddyshack. Are you a fan of either or both? Oh, Caddyshack. What? Uh, how can you not be a fan of that? Rodney Dangerfield, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray. Yes, great movie. 40th anniversary. There you go. Absolutely. I'm done. I'm hungry. All right. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Well, let's wrap it up, Chet. Let's thank tonight's special guest, Ray Dininger, our sponsor is the Irish Rover Station House, Bob Sullivan's LikeYourAge.com, PPC, one team room, and Dave Boy of Allstate Insurance in Westchester for their continued support of the show. For Jim Chet Chesco, this is Bill Furman. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll join Philly Press Box Radio next Wednesday, August 5th at 7 p.m. You can listen. You can see us live on Facebook. Or listen through our website, phillypressboxradio.com, on blogtalkradio.com, slash phillypressboxradio, on Google Podcasts, as well as Apple Podcasts and others. And also, Chad, need to thank Chris Furman for jumping in at the last minute to produce this show for Billy Furman's absence. And we'll get to that on another show. But uh, high hopes, Philadelphia sports fans. Let's go Flyers. Let's go Sixers. Hey, let's go Phillies. We have high hopes.